check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 103 of the podcast. Today, I have a very special interview with Kate Wynn. I reached out to Kate to ask her if she would speak on my podcast when I saw a wonderful webinar she'd given about structured literacy in kindergarten. So in this episode, we talk about Kate's movement from balanced to structured literacy and what teaching reading with a structured approach looks like in her kindergarten classroom. Welcome to Triple R Teaching, where we encourage you to think differently about education by helping you reflect, refine, and recharge. This isn't just about trying something new as you educate those entrusted to your care. We'll equip you with simple strategies and practical tips that will fill your toolbox and reignite your passion for teaching. It's time to reflect, refine, and recharge with your host, Anna Geiger. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Kate Wynn. I watched a YouTube webinar that she had given about teaching structured literacy, and it was amazing. It was how she teaches it in kindergarten. And I knew we needed to talk to her about how she made the move from a balance to a structured literacy approach and also to hear how she applies all this information in her day-to-day teaching. I was so excited that she agreed to come on the podcast. So welcome, Kate. Thanks so much, Anna. I was thrilled when you asked me, and I'm so happy to be here talking to you today. Before we turned on the recording, you said that you transitioned from second and third grade down to kindergarten. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how you realized that there needed to be some change in how you were teaching? Sure. So I've been teaching for 22 years, a huge range of, you know, different grades and, and subjects. And I had, as you said, spent a couple of years or a few years in the sort of grade two, three, four range. And, and then I moved down seven years ago to kindergarten. And that was when I first started to realize maybe something was wrong with balanced literacy, because in kindergarten, you really are responsible for that, introducing that foundational piece, right? And so I had some tools that were okay and some tools that weren't. And, and I was realizing, okay, the kids are really not reading, they're guessing. And, and um, it just kind of struck me that this can't be the right way to do it. So that's when I started my my deep dive into into the science of reading. And I can remember one story where I was sending home all of those like eagle eye and, you know, like those little tips that you're supposed to be using with your kids with balanced literacy and look at the picture and all that stuff. And then I remember following up with one parent and, you know, gently reminding them that they hadn't sent back the leveled book that their child had been practicing at home. And the mommy mailed me back and she said, oh, yeah, I'm waiting until she can do it with the pictures covered and then we'll really know she can read it. And I remember thinking, well, that's kind of mean. Like, she's not going to be able to do it with the pictures covered. Like, how is she going to know which animal you're on if she's not looking, right? And then that got me really thinking, okay, that can't be right. There's something else going on here. So in my deep dive, I mean, I was getting hardcore into books and podcasts and webinars and everything I possibly could. I should mention at the same time, too, because I know sometimes when I share my story, people think, well, how did you have the time? Because classroom teachers don't. Classroom teachers do not have the time to delve into every single subject you teach and to actually be looking for the science and and looking at the actual, um, you know, primary source research and all of that stuff. So one thing I will mention is that I was diagnosed with breast cancer in November of 2020 and ended up with some months at home. And for me, months at home are just not good unless I have something to do. So that actually kind of helped me with a bit of a focus and gave me some time for that too. So if anybody's listening and thinking like, you know, how did she find this time? That is one of the reasons is I just kind of did have that time at home. And then of course with COVID too, 
just prior to that, so many things being, you know, shut down and when you're um, doing online learning and all of that stuff, just being home also provided me with a bit of extra time too. So, so many circumstances kind of came into play to allow me to get into all of this information. And I'm so glad that I did because as you mentioned, I totally changed my practice and what I was doing in kindergarten and shifted to, uh, shifted to a structured literacy approach. And it made such a difference last year at the end of the year. So I teach in Ontario. And so a kindergarten program is probably what most states would think of as a pre-K, K mix. So I've got the kids who are four or turning four, okay. plus the kids who are five or turning five mixed together. So at the end of last year, the year twos who were leaving me for grade one were all reading. And so to me, and then I also did my Acadian screener, end of the year screener, and they were where they needed to be benchmark wise. And so those were, that was kind of my evidence that, that they were where they needed to be and that this was really working. And I think when you see it working, it's just so motivational. Well, that was a lot. <laughs> you talk faster than I do. <laughs> um, so let's go back to what you were doing before you started making the switch. And it's very interesting that you mentioned 2019, 2020, because so many people I talk to, it's the same time frame that they learned the difference and started making changes. What, like, were you using a particular curriculum or how did you approach teaching reading before you started looking into the research? So I think, like, if you look at, um, like, the whole Scarborough's Road, for example, I think the kind of language comprehension side, I think I was doing a good job with that. I would say kindergarten teachers in general are doing a good job with that, probably a better job than on that word recognition side. So I know that in our board we had Jolly Phonics. Jolly Phonics is seen to be an effective program, so there's nothing wrong with using that one. We were still doing sort of that letter of the week idea, though, whereas we know now that kids can move a lot faster. And then I think the biggest issue was, the reading material I was giving the kids to use was completely undermining any phonics instruction that they were getting. Right. So I think sometimes there are teachers who are kind of new to all this and they're saying, we do phonics. Everybody's always done phonics. This is so, so silly, but it's how you're doing the phonics. Like we know the whole explicit, the systematic, those, uh, those kind of key words. But I was using leveled readers that basically required the three cueing. They required kids to guess um, you know, kind of that whole sight word, not what scientists would call sight word, but what a lot of educators call sight word, the kind of high frequency word, you know, learn it as a whole and then just drill it kind of thing. And then you'll be able to read some of these books as well, doing a lot of that stuff. And that was not, uh, well, I have learned now that is not the best way to teach kids to read. So that was, that was kind of what was going on in my classroom with that phonological awareness. I might've dabbled in a bit of it and the more broader stroke stuff like the syllables and, and onset rhyme, that sort of thing. I definitely wasn't doing that phonetic anemic level awareness kind of kind of work in the class either until I learned all about that. So definitely, uh, definitely two improvements that I made. I'd like to go back to talking about the leveled books that you were using and you mentioned guess and I know um, people really get defensive about that word. I know that I used to get defensive about that because I didn't think I was teaching them to guess. I was teaching them to be strategic. Um, that's what I thought. Can you explain why you use that word and yeah, why people need to accept that that's really what's happening when we're using those level books. So now, since I've shifted to decodables, um, the idea is if they need the picture at all, they're not reading the words. So, I mean, pictures are still so useful for context and comprehension and getting more out of the story and maybe even checking what you've read. But if you can't decode the words that are there, and again, I'm talking about kindergarten, right? So I'm talking about kids who are sounding words out for the first time. They shouldn't need the picture. So they shouldn't have to use that whole eagle eyes kind of cue. That is guessing. If it's like, you know, we're at the zoo in this book and it's like, we saw, ah, 
like my kids don't know how to sound out monkey. So if they have to look at the picture and then go monkey and, and I was seeing things too, where even when kids should know, like for example, with, um, I don't know if we want to name any not good assessment tools, but, um, the assessment tool that we would use, <laughs> you know, in a book, they could sound out the word truck, but they would just look at the picture and go dump truck. Like it starts with T. Why are you, yes. like, why are you saying mm -hmm. dump truck? Because they're not even bothering to look at the word or, um, there was another example where it was the same thing where they should be able to sound it out and they just totally didn't. They just looked right. It was bus. They said, uh, school bus. Like school bus is a great big long word that starts with S. This says B-U-S. Why are you saying school bus? So again, the idea of totally guessing. And I know some people might think, well, oh, well, if they're learning to sound out and they're doing this, you know, no big deal. But the science tells us that it is a big deal, especially when we get into like functional MRIs and all of the brain research and things like that. Kids who are using those strategies of poor readers, different things are going on in their brain, not the things that we want to see going on in the brain of a, a skilled reader. And so it is really important. Like I know in my webinar, I said, some habits are kind of neutral. I mean, they might not be worth your time, but it's not going to hurt kids if you're using them, you know, whatever. But a, a thing like this, like having kids guess when they're reading, that is harmful. And that is something that, that we don't want to be encouraging anymore. So that's definitely a big shift I made to, uh, to go from those leveled readers where, you know, it was basically either looking at the picture or just following the pattern because you know, if it's like my dad is whatever, like that sort of thing on every page, they're following mm -hmm. the pattern too. So if they need to do that stuff, they're not actually reading and our job is to teach them to read. And what you mentioned too, you said something about habits. And I think that is even a bigger thing than the guessing that when we teach them that your eyes have to go off the words to figure out what they are. It's very, it can be very hard to break for some kids. I know, especially, I think in the primary grades, you maybe don't notice it as much because the books you're giving them are designed for that. But the, the teachers that come after us will notice that more because now the picture cues aren't there. The, the context may not be useful for a word they've never read before. And now they don't have what they need. So those are good things to keep in mind when you're teaching kindergarten and first grade. I know like even a special education teacher I work with who gets kids, you know, down the line and is working with them. She'll tell me how, you know, they'll be looking at a text with absolutely no pictures and they're just looking around anywhere, but down at the paper as if somehow the answer is going to magically come to them. So you're right. I mean, those habits are very, very hard to break. And, uh, and it's especially the kids who perhaps are going to be more, more prone to difficulties with reading that are going to latch onto those early on. And that's going to be even harder for them when we're trying to, you know, intervene or remediate down the line. So when I watched your webinar, it was very clear to me that you've done your research. I recognize so many things you were talking about. Can you tell us, you know, where you went? What did you start studying? What was most useful to you as you made this big shift? So I'm definitely a book person, but the funny thing is people always ask, you know, what would you recommend for a person starting out? And I see people recommending, you know, Louisa Mote's Speech to Print or, or Mark Seidenberg. And the funny thing is those were two of the first books that I read. However, those are not the best books for beginners. So, I mean, I'm definitely a book person. So, you know, No Better, Do Better by David and Meredith Lieben is excellent. The Art and Science of Teaching Primary Reading, Christopher Such. I did um, a book study in my school board last year using that one, which was just excellent. So, I mean, for me, books, being able to read stuff. I also got into, of course, you know, a lot of podcasts, including yours. Um, and and, and that sort of thing. Um, so again, I'm in Ontario. So the International Dyslexia Association in Ontario just has outstanding resources, not only like on their website that I could find. And I actually came to them because 
I was assigned an article on this for a magazine here in Canada, and I wanted to interview an expert. And so I ended up talking to the president of the IDA Ontario, and then that's how I got involved in, in a whole bunch of things with them. And they put on my webinar and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, just different workshops and in-services and, and then finding, you know, sort of mentors and people who are doing the same thing, maybe in other boards and, and learning from them. I found that, that really helpful as well. Um, I don't have, you know, like higher education courses in this. And I know in terms of teacher prep courses and even some courses that we do now for like in-service teachers, a lot of them haven't covered the science of reading. So you may have taken, you know, a reading specialist course or something like that, you know, in, in past years, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it had anything to do with structured literacy. So it's really about, you know, knowing the best sources to find, uh, to find all of that information. So for the most part, I'd say it was really self-directed, but a whole variety of different, uh, different media to get you there. Now you were that you took a break from teaching because of your cancer, is that correct? And were you spending all that time studying and then you went back, everything was different for you or how did that go? Yes, so I had started learning about this before before my medical leave. And so the, the beginning of that school year, um, the beginning of 2020, I thought, okay, here we go, I'm gonna do this. And then I ended up going off and then you have um, a different teacher filling in for you and I couldn't really tell that teacher, like, don't be doing sight words anymore, you know, and that sort of thing. So I had to sort of just let that go for those months that I was at home. And then when I came back, we were online. So by that point, um, my school had bought Haggerty and there were, you know, a few things kind of heading in the right direction. So I was using some of that, but it was really, um, it was really the start of last school year. It was really the fall of 2021 when I could just throw myself in at hardcore for the entire year and do it the way I wanted to do it. So, um, and of course, having the kids physically in school, I found very helpful as well. Now, an interesting point is our kids wore masks until March. And I know there's a lot of concern about, you know, kids and, and their literacy abilities and things like that. But I do know that, that ours were able to be quite successful, even though they, they did have masks till then. But it's so nice now because I know last year I didn't bother with mirrors for, for phonics or anything because you can't see your mouth mm -hmm. get a mask covered right whereas uh, this year it is so nice that I know they are seeing my mouth and I am seeing their mouths so I would say that that's definitely a, mm -hmm. a difference that I have seen since before so I know I'm gonna definitely send people to your webinar where they're gonna learn a ton about how this looks day to day but just can you give us an overview of how it looks in your classroom I know right now we're doing this it's it's October so I know it's the beginning of the year but how are things looking now and then maybe how will things look a little bit farther in the year or towards the end of the year well, it's a really good question the way you posed it about the now versus the end of the year because you know something like kindergarten i came from june having you know them exactly where i wanted them and then you come back in september i had several three-year-olds you know a whole bunch of other things going on besides you know trying wow. to get kids reading so you know you have to kind of remind yourself you've got the whole year to do this so i'm at the point now where we are doing our phonics every day so i'm actually using the new ufly foundations program which is amazing okay. absolutely love it so they take um, like a letter sound lesson and split it up over two days. So I do a little bit the one day and then a little bit the next day and then move on. So I'm covering two letters and sounds a week. Um, and then there's time built in there for review as well. So, you know, we'll sit at the carpet and we'll do that little lesson. The kids have like their cookie sheets with magnet letters and that sort of thing to be doing, uh, to be doing some of that work. And some of it's just kind of smart board slideshow lessons and 
in that as well. So that's kind of how the lesson component looks. Um, and then I'm finding decodable books are just so excellent for practice. So like my year two students who were in my program last year and are already reading, I know where they are skill wise. And so they read to me from decodables and I'm just ready now to start sort of a take home program. So instead of leveled readers, cause I know that's what a lot of teachers wonder too. Okay. I'm supposed to stop sending home leveled readers, but what can I send home for my kids to read? Cause parents want reading material and, uh, and reading is definitely something if you are going to have any sort of homework, reading is the one thing that you would want to focus on. So having those decodables text is, is helpful for that too. And then when my year ones get to that point, they'll be, they'll be doing that as well. And then of course, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about um, the science of reading and they just think it's all about the phonics, I mean, we don't want to not mention the whole other side of it, right? So of course, lots of rich read alouds and something I started last year was chapter book read alouds at snack time, which I found was really great. And, you know, I could read the first book in a series and then like take a little picture and put it in the seesaw app and share it with parents. And then I would find out that, you know, they had bought number two or number three and they were doing it as bedtime reading at home. You know, that's really neat because we want kids to be exposed oh, yeah. to, you know, that vocabulary, the content, all of that stuff as well. So certainly I wouldn't want the conversation to go by and make it sound like it's only about, you know, the phonics. However, I do think that that's for a lot of people, it's more the foundational skills area that needed work. So I have the UFLY um, manual because I just wanted to see it and it looks amazing. And I know I'm pretty sure in there they do letter names and sounds, correct? Correct. So I was just recently at a, a reading league conference in Wisconsin and Stephen Dykstra, you probably heard of him. He, he talks a lot about the science of reading and, and what really is the science of reading and what's what people would like to think is proved by research. And he talked about how there's a huge uh, debate between the letters and sounds together or just sounds to begin and then if you get people like that in the same room together they could break out in fist fights um which is i i hear that all the time so i would just love to hear from your experience um there are some people who who are very much for just sounds to begin talk about how kids will get those things confused and that knowing letter names they say confuses them when they're trying to sound out words can you speak to your experience with that and any thoughts you have about it so for sure. And I mean, like you said, it's my experiences and my thoughts because I have done no research on this myself, right? So I'm just going to share what, what I have seen. So I know some of the things that I've read talk about how letter names can actually be helpful for kids because if the sound is in the letter name, then that's actually going to help trigger them to, to remember. Um, I know I, what I have done in last year when I saw so much success in my class, I taught the sound and the letter name and we would work with both. And even when I was doing like little, you know, flashcard practices or whatever, it would be letter sound, letter name, letter sound, letter name, you know, so they were doing both. And when I get parents to practice, you know, like maybe I've got a child who's still struggling with a few, I get them to do the same thing, letter sound, letter name. Eventually they do need to know both. Um, so certainly my experience has been that it hasn't been a problem to, to work with both of those. One thing. I do like, I know there's a lot of debate too, um, even talking about UFLY, I was in one of their uh, webinars about the program and somebody said, well, is this a speech to print program or is this a print speech program? And Dr. Holly Lane basically said, I don't really think that needs to be a question. Um, we want to go both ways when we're teaching kids, like the decoding, encoding and backwards. Um, and she said, like most people I know aren't having this sort of debate, so I wouldn't really worry about it. So it kind of reminds me of, of something like that because they do need to know both and, and do both. But one thing I have done um, in my slideshows for this year, like I've taken theirs and I've tweaked them a teeny bit to talk about the sound first 
before the letter name, just because mm -hmm. that's the way I did it last year when mm -hmm. I had really no resources and I was borrowing from another teacher and kind of putting it all together that, and I knew how successful that had been. So within the same slideshow, within the same lesson, we're just, you know, talking about the sound and breaking down mm -hmm. the articulation and all of that stuff, what words start with it. And we've got pictures and then you know, the way we spell it is with the letter P and this is what the letter P looks like and kind of going from there. So they're definitely getting both. And for me, the way I'm, I'm kind of doing things right now is just sound and then letter, but it's within the same lesson. So now you, you have a very unique um, situation compared to what we have in the States. I know uh, my sister lived in Canada for nine years and she actually homeschooled, but she told me about that, about how very young children are in the early program. Um, and you said like you had three-year-olds. So when you're teaching reading to, or, you know, phonics and everything to this whole group, how does that work? Do you differentiate your instruction initially? Are all of them learning a few letters and sounds at a time and then starting to decode words? Are they getting more of a phonemic awareness foundation first? How do you attack that? So I am actually doing, you know, whole group. This is what I did last year, though last year I had more year twos, so more older kids in the group. This year I have more year ones, more younger kids. But we do that part whole group, and the little ones are actually doing well with it. Um, the problem is more at the other end now. It's the ones who are way too advanced to be spending too much time on mm. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. So that's right mm -hmm. now they're mm -hmm. part of the whole group. And one thing that I found too, with, with, um, the ones who are doing really, really well, I started taking some of the you fly. They have, um, like a, a sentence, like almost an assessment dictation sentence to go with each lesson once you get to a certain point. So what okay. I've been doing with a couple of kids is pulling them aside in small group and using the dictation sentences from all of the lessons just to kind of see where they are, because there are some points where they can read it but they're not quite writing it yet. Or, you know, there's things like that, that, you yes. know, cause you want to make sure that they've really consolidated that skill. So I'm making sure that they've, they've sort of got all of that. But uh, for me this year, I think the whole group is fine to be that whole you fly and that, uh, that phonics piece. And then it's going to be more, uh, more concerned about the small group that needs enrichment, that needs extension to kind of move on because, because they're already there because, you know, mm -hmm. we want everybody to learn to read and we want everybody to, to continue to grow, even the ones that are doing well. So that's, uh, that's a balancing act right now. Sometimes I think in the science of reading discussion that the more advanced kids kind of get dropped out of the conversation because we're, we're really focused as we should be on kids who are struggling and kids who may have dyslexia. But yeah, we want to make sure that everybody is being challenged. Can you um, speak to what the rest of the kids are doing when you're working with small groups? Well, I'm really lucky again in Ontario because the way the program works, there is a certified teacher and an early childhood educator who are partners in the class. And certainly either one could take the lead on literacy, you know, or any other subject in my class, because this is my passion. Um, this is sort of the thing that I do, but I'm lucky that sometimes it's, you know, when my partner is doing something else with whole group that I can take kids, like even when I'm just doing assessments, I would never, um, you know, take big groups from her lessons or anything like that. But it's just, if I want to pull a kid for an assessment, you know, that sort of thing, I can do that. And then also mm -hmm. we have a big focus on play-based learning in kindergarten as well. So there are times in the day where the children are playing and I don't think there's anything wrong with sure. the kids being pulled for, for small groups there too, for you can play, you get pulled out to do a little activity with the teacher, you go back and play. I think, you know, I have heard the question like, oh, does mm -hmm. that devalue play or make kids think, you know, that, that it's not as important, but I think kids just learn there's lots of different things you do at school and sometimes Mrs. Wynn needs you at the back table and, and so you go. So that's, uh, that's been another way I've been able to make things work as well. Much harder, I know, if you're in, you know, grade one, you're in grade two, you're all by yourself. Um, 
in terms of trying to figure out what the kids are doing when you're when you're taking small groups. I know it takes a lot of creativity there. Yeah, well, that's great. You've got that built-in support. That makes a huge difference. Um, can you maybe talk to us a little bit about your comprehension piece? Like you said, you were starting to do chapter books. Do you have a like, do you have a, a list of questions written out? Do you have some vocabulary that you know you're going to work on? Do you revisit those? You know, how, how does this look in your school day? So sometimes it's more formal. So for example, I have taken some children's books and come up with sort of explicit vocabulary lessons that kind of follow those text talk lessons that, um, that were written many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it's very like we're taking a few vocabulary words and we're being really intense with those. And then maybe the next day we're going to read the book again and be really intense. So sometimes it's something really like that. Or other times it's something like, well, I mean, you know, it was Canadian Thanksgiving and I wanted to read this lovely book about Canadian Thanksgiving. So you just sort of flip through it quickly and see, okay, what parts are you going to sort of stop and, and question the kids with. So so that sort of thing. And then I find even with um, my chapter book, Read Alouds, I like to stop. And there are certain things where you can almost quiz the kids, like the word glance kept coming up. You know, she glanced at him and he glanced at her and they were glancing around and whatever. And so when it would come to glance, I'd just say, okay, everybody glance at the door. And then you can kind of look and see, are they glancing at the door? Did they get what they were supposed to do? Right. So just almost those little kind of mini (laughs) mini assessment sort of things. But I mean, I certainly don't have in kindergarten, you know, like any big long comprehension assessments that they do or anything like that. I know with, Mm -hmm. with decodable text, some decodables are trying to be, you know, as good as they can for giving some kind of meatiness that allows for a question at the end. But sometimes it's like, what did the dog sit on? the log, you know, there's not, you know, there's not a whole lot and maybe you can connect. Do you have a pet at home and where do they like to sit or whatever? Um, but in terms of the books that they're reading independently, they don't really lend themselves. And I don't feel like they're supposed to, I don't think writers of decodable books need to make them so that they're so deep and rich that they're going to provoke huge discussions. I don't think that's the, the role of those. I think it's more the teacher read alouds that uh, that kind of do that piece in kindergarten, and it's such a such an investment for down the line, like all that vocabulary content knowledge. I know it's important to you know in our, our kindergarten program in Ontario is kind of set up differently, but in most grades you would have science expectations and social studies expectations. You don't want to skimp on those. You know, it's not like oh, I need more literacy time, more literacy time. I got to cut that stuff out because you can build that in as well, right? And use text from your science mm-hmm. and from your social studies, and and make sure kids are getting all that that content background because that's what's going to help them the most with comprehension down the line. Yeah, for sure. What about other things that like we might think about as being more balanced literacy? Like do you do shared reading, things like that, where you do more concepts of print type things? I do. Um, Look, one of the favorite things that we do on a weekly basis, it's kind of a shared writing where I have a star of the week every week. And so at the carpet, the kids ask the star questions, like, what's your favorite this? And what's your favorite that? And, you know, whatever. And so then I kind of do a shared writing of that paragraph. And then that becomes sort of shared reading that we have Mm -hmm. those together. Um, So we Ah. do some of that. And then, you know, some big books and that sort of thing. I'd say... um, yeah. Uh, and I'd say really, I can still use like, you know, for example, with you fly, they have little decodable pieces that go with their lessons and that sort of thing. So you can still talk about, you know, capitalizations and, and um, punctuation and, and different things mm-hmm. like that. Those sorts of concepts of print and the left to right and all of that stuff still comes up even just using your, using your decodables. I try to be, I think I probably overcompensate too much in not wanting to put text in front of them and have them think they're supposed to read it when they haven't been taught how to read it. So I think that's something that I'm probably almost too cautious of is uh, is showing texts and uh, and having them for any reason think they should be guessing at a word. Can you um, talk to people who are 
they're more balanced literacy and they're hearing all this about the science of reading and they're they don't feel good about it because to them it sounds very boring it's gonna take away all the things they love about teaching their kids aren't gonna like it they're not gonna like it what can you speak to in terms of enjoyment of this whole process for you and your kids well, for me, I mean, I've said before, and it sounds really cheesy, but like I have rediscovered my joy in teaching because of structured literacy. I feel so purposeful. I mean, even with something like the screening tools, when you're kind of color coding where the kids are at in different skills and you see them going from that kind of yellow, like maybe at risk and into the green zone, a lot of that stuff, it's so motivational as a teacher. Um, and I think once you see that yourself, you want to keep doing it more. So I would say like, just try, just get your feet wet a little bit. And when you see this happening, I can almost promise you, you're going to want to, to keep it up. And in terms of the kids enjoyment of it, I mean, like I said, there's that other side of the rope. They want to hear rich text. They want like all of that stuff. Yes, for sure. But in terms of kids actually reading themselves, they know they're not reading when they're, you know, I know I keep saying the word guessing, but when they're using mm -hmm. any of those different strategies and just following a pattern. And so I feel like I was kind of a fraud when I'd be like, oh, you read that book because I'm sure the kids would be looking at me like, yeah, that, <laughs> like that's, I didn't, okay, if that's what reading is. And maybe they did think they were reading, but I was convincing them that reading was something that it wasn't. Um, but the joy I see now, and it does sound boring when they're starting out. Like when it's just like it, mm -hmm. it is, is. Ack, at, at, right? That's what you're hearing, but that is exactly what their brain needs. And then when they go, it is a cat, it is a cat, Mrs. Wynn, it is a cat. Like, yes. And then I try to play that up too. Like even when we're doing our little lessons, like every time we add a new letter, a new sound, we can make a few more words, right? And so every time we'll do those on the board and I'll be saying, you can read more words now. Now you can read this word that has p in it and this word that has p in it. And you just try to build that up in them and you just see their joy. Like they're so proud of themselves. And then when you pull them to read a text to you and they're doing it independently, it's, it's really something. Now, anecdotal experience is one thing. So that's all just me telling you, but we have to be careful because, you know, in balanced literacy, people might have their own. Well, I saw joy in kids and whatever. So it can't just be about that, but there yeah. is research. There are studies done to show that being able to read accurately or skillfully leads to joy. It's not just something where there's a correlation, like, yeah, yeah, of course, good readers like to read. It actually mm -hmm. is a causation that they have found in studies that the better a child gets at reading, the more they like to read, the more joy that comes. So the fact that you can be the person with that, with that power and that ultimate responsibility of getting them started on that, it's, it really is an incredible thing. So I would say, do not worry about the joy part. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I want to switch real quick. Now we're, we're kind of winding up. Um, I want to talk to you about Twitter because you said that Twitter is where you do most of your talk about literacy. And that is the one social media platform that I have not really <laughs> gotten into mainly because there's only so much time, but I, now my kids are all in school. So that may be something I can get, get to. Can you talk to us about for teachers that may not be interested in using Twitter, how that's useful for learning about teaching. Reading. I, so yeah, so I have been on Twitter forever, but there were years where I barely touched it um, until I kind of got into all of this. So I love following, you know, like the researchers that I trust or institutions that I trust. Mm. I find sometimes, you know, if you're just in Facebook groups and that sort of thing, one little pet peeve that I've been finding is I think it's amazing that people who are still learning pose a question in those groups, like good for you. And I hope people are, you know, gentle and supportive and whatever. But sometimes I'm seeing a whole bunch of answers that aren't 
accurate. And so some of those things I feel like, okay, people <laughs> should only weigh in if you know that you actually have accurate information to help this person because you're just going to, uh, to mess them up. Whereas I find on Twitter, people are very science-based, evidence-based. They kind of want receipts for something if, okay. uh, if you're promoting. And I know sometimes I'll share a resource and someone will say, uh, does that align with the science of reading? You know, and they'll, they'll want to know. So I found that really helpful. And the funny thing is I know a lot of people talk about negativity on any social media platform for sure. Um, but people talk about Twitter, but I have actually found it to be so incredibly supportive. I mean, like I've said, the mentors that I've found and other friends, and I'm not even just talking Ontario, I'm talking across the country and other countries. I mean, I got to know somebody um, who's a professor in Ireland. And when I went there this summer, she and I met in Dublin and had lunch together. Um, so to talk about, to talk about things. So it was just, it's, yeah, I just find it's a really, really good, good place for learning. And I find too, when new research comes out or there's something interesting, even if it's just in, you know, general media, like maybe a newspaper covers a big story about literacy or whatever, Twitter is where I see it first. So to keep up to date with that sort of thing, I, I find it's a great platform for that. So I'm at this mom loves if anyone wants to find me there. Oh, at this mom loves. Okay. You're convincing me. I think I need to get started over there. <laughs> I, I love the idea of being able to fo follow researchers and get, because it can be hard to know where to get all that new stuff as it comes out. Like and to know that um, people are sharing it over there is, is awesome. Well, I know that people are gonna hear this and just wanna learn a lot more from you. So I'll definitely share that webinar that you shared. Anything else, and your Twitter handle, anything else, any other places I can send them to learn more from you about teaching? So my website is thismomloves.ca. And as you and I were talking about before, it's always been sort of a general lifestyle site. So there are lots of different things. I mean, I share my favorite books and things that aren't even education related. There are other things that I share in there as well. But I do have pages for like print articles that I've done, links to those. So I've written for, um, you know, parenting magazines about education and that sort of thing. And I also have um, a link on there to a page with all of my TV segments. So I do a lot of TV segments about education as well. Um, so you can mm -hmm. find those there if you want to learn more too. So a lot of it, you know, some of it's broader than education, but those two two pages definitely have a lot of educational info on on them. Wonderful. I'll, I'll be sure to link to those in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us, Kate. People are going to be so appreciative hearing about structural literacy and how that looks in the kindergarten classroom. Thank you, Anna, for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. And one of these days I will get my mic set right when I do an interview. Thankfully, Kate came in loud and clear and if you would like to hear more about all she has to share, you can find all the links we mentioned in the show notes, themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 103. Talk to you next time. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.